0: Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, December 26, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Hope uh, if you celebrate Christmas, you had a wonderful Christmas, and either way, hope you got to spend the day with your family and friends. Matt Norlander is here with me, obviously, and because we recorded on Sunday night, and now it's Wednesday morning, and in between was Christmas, nothing relevant in college basketball has happened since the last time we talked. So what we decided to do uh, with League Play right around the corner is, is take some big picture looks at the sport by asking very simple questions like who should be player of the year right now? Who should be coach of the year right now? Which team is the biggest good surprise? Which team has been the most disappointing? Who would we pick to win the national title right now? So on and so forth. Those questions, I think, should spark uh, some fun, interesting conversation. So we'll get to them momentarily. But first, let me say Merry Christmas, Matt Norlander. Did you get everything you wanted? Did your boys get everything they desire?
1: <laughs> uh, well, the the three month old has no idea what's what's going on. No cognizant ability to take in this holiday. So I'm going to appreciate that for all it is, because my three year old was yes, he got uh, well. I mean, he asked for like a thousand things, so he didn't get uh, hardly any of that. But he is also not old enough to really. Uh, connect one thing to the other. So the stuff that he wanted that he didn't get, he completely forgot about once he saw there were actually presents under the tree. Uh, he was up and ready to get down the stairs by about 6.45. I guess I can't ask for better than that as a dad, but it was a... Um it was a, a nice Christmas for him. My wife got me slippers. I don't wear slippers, so I do have a return situation. Then again, I got my wife a robe. I thought she would like. She in fact hates it, so she's going to be returning that as well. But it was a uh, it was a fun, uh, enjoyable Christmas uh, w- with the fam here at the house. And uh, the only thing it didn't have is I do love a white Christmas, but it was not snow touched up here in Connecticut. How about you, GP? How was your how was your Christmas day?
0: Let's- a good day. Uh, I will say congrats to you on your three-year-old forgetting uh, about the things that he wanted that he didn't get because that is not the way it worked for my four-year-old. It's funny. Like leading up to Christmas, um, you have these conversations with your kids nonstop, particularly the ones around that age. You're like, "So, buddy, what do you think you want Santa Claus to bring you?" And hey, here's a catalog from some toy store. Like, hey, look through that, see if there's anything you like, or you know. And then he gets sort of trained to. Anytime time he's on his iPad and he sees something on YouTube that he likes, he'll point. Hey, Daddy, look, look at this! You know, uh, you think that maybe Santa Claus could bring me this for Christmas? And I'm like, maybe you just have to ask him when you see him, and you got to be a good boy and all that. So we've had these conversations all month about everything he could possibly want, and he wants like uh, the the real Spider Man web shooters you put on your arms and then it shoots like foam out. And so we got that knocked out, and just anything he named, basically we got. So I swear to God, night before Christmas, we're sitting around, you know, getting milk and cookies ready for Santa. And uh, one of my wife's friends was over at the house. And she said, Oliver, so what did you, uh, what's the main thing you asked Santa Claus for? What's the main thing you want Santa Claus to bring you tomorrow? And he said, a robot that runs errands. And we're like, son of a bitch. Like, you never said that. Not one time. Like, he never, the past month, he's been asked that question 500 times. Never once said anything about a robot. So now Kelly and I are, like, looking at each other, like, well, what are we going to do now? It's too late to go get a robot now. So uh, by Christmas morning, he was, like, looking for his robot, and it just wasn't there. It just never going to be there. Uh, the good thing is that his birthday is actually December 27th. So he's got Christmas uh. 25th, birthday 27th, so he will get a robot for his birthday. But it's just, like, maddening. Like, yo, man, we've spent incredible amount of hours and an incredible amount of money trying to make the perfect Christmas. And now on Christmas, we, on Christmas Eve, we find out the main thing you want. You're just, it's just not going to be there for you.
1: That is, that's rough. But, and also it's also rough that he's on the 27th for him, for you. Like you got to go through this all again tomorrow, parish,
0: dude, I'm so tired of being around people. Like we, we do Christmas Eve with my in-laws Christmas Day with my father, and day after Christmas, which is today, which is later on today, with my mother, and then we got Oliver's birthday party tomorrow. That's four consecutive days of like being around folks. I ain't built, I ain't wired for that.
1: You want none of that, uh, <laughs> none of that whatsoever. That yeah, that's uh, that's a little rough. I will say, my my older son. Um, he was just plowing through everything, wanted to open, as is, as is expected. You hope that he uh, will open one thing, want to play with it, forget he's got other gifts. No, he just wanted to open all of his gifts. My uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law came over, brought their two dachshunds. He's like pushing the dachshunds out of the way, like violently, like get out of my way. I got to open these presents. Got some of that on video. It wasn't uh, It wasn't our son's greatest moment, but he did. He did enjoy it. And you say, you mentioned robot real quick. My wife got him like this Basically a handheld Optimus Prime toy, but he's never seen Transformers. He has no idea what it is, but it's actually it actually transforms pretty good. Uh, so to him, that's a robot, and in fact, that is his favorite toy. He got some cool stuff, but just sometimes you'll never know what these kids will latch on to that. And as we record this podcast currently, we have him going to town on Play-Doh. It's going to be a disaster when I wrap up this podcast and walk back downstairs. But uh, those are his two big ones, and uh, just uh, just happy that he's happy.
0: Right. Yeah, we got a lot of Play-Doh, too, which means, like you, we have a lot of Play-Doh all over the house um, at, at this moment. Anyway, let's get to uh, some college basketball stuff. Like I said, um, you know, we're just going to use some big-picture topics to try to create some conversations because nothing's happened since the last time that we talked Uh, in the sport as of this moment most college basketball teams have played either 11 or 12 or 13 games Uh, so depending on the team we're either a little less than a third of the way or a little more than a third of the way through the games that are going to be played before selection sunday so it's still very early but norlander let's start here if you had to name a national player of the year right now
1: what would your top three list look like all right, I'll go 3 to 1 here. And this is Parrish, At this stage of the season, I actually think it's still pretty wide open. Um I don't think that two of my 3 will be in the top 5 if we were to do this again, say right on the cusp of the conference tournament play starting. But at number 3, his team's got what an 8 and 2 record. 8 and 2 record played a, played a lot of uh Not a lot, played some good, solid opponents, has been really good against big opponents, averaging 23 points, 9.3 assists, that's the most in the nation, seven rebounds per game, Uh, an effective field goal percentage of 56.5. It's Ja Morant of Murray State who is becoming a potential top 10 pick in the draft. And I don't evaluate player of the year candidates with draft stock, but in this case, these are dovetailing. Um Murray State found another gem. I mean, he will be the latest example of a dude that program picked up and is going to turn into a first-round pick. He has been awesome. And if you've watched Murray State go up against the likes of some SEC schools, Alabama, Auburn in particular, those two he was really, really good against, he's been fantastic overall. Um, and and what he does, I mean, he be, it, the team is his. I mean, he's got the number one assist rate in the nation – is involved in basically almost every single possession that he's on the floor for. So I got him at three, and then at two, on the heels of an epic performance, averaging 25 points a game, 4.5 assists, 4.3 rebounds, shooting 40% from three, a 91% three-point shooter, Was expected to be good, and I think he's been good enough, and his team has been good enough to validate this. I've got Marcus Howard of Marquette at two. He just went off the other night, had 40 second-half points. I still haven't seen, if this was uh, written about or tweeted about, I just haven't seen it in the midst of all this Christmas stuff. I don't know how many times we've ever had a player go for 40-and-a-half, ever, in college basketball. It's absurd in 20-minute halves to have someone go off for 40. I really don't know if it's ever happened more than six or seven times in the history of the sport. So I've got Howard at two. And then I've got Zion Williamson at one. He's still he's still absurd at this point. Um, like, R.J. Barrett's leading the team in scoring, and I get all that. Uh, but Williamson's no slouch. He's, what, averaging 19.8 points per game. He's at 9.4 rebounds per game. His PER is still hovering around 40, which is a joke. It's by far the best in college basketball. So, weirdly, whereas as Morant and Howard are by far the most valuable players for their team, by far... Howard's got a little more around him than Morant does. Zion's actually, you know, Trey Jones is really great against Texas Tech. RJ Barrett's leading the team in scoring. Cam Reddish is obviously a really good talent. Even Jack White showed some some big strides. So Zion's got more around him. But given Duke's record, it's standing in the metrics. I will still give it to him narrowly. And I'll wrap by saying there are another 8 to 10 candidates I strongly consider for this top three. I just don't think there's a ton of separation at this point.
0: There's not, and I should say um, that, that though we did discuss, and by discuss I mean just via text message, the categories because I didn't want to catch you off guard. I wanted to be able to st- you be prepared for top three player of the year, top three coach of the year, so on and so forth. We did not discuss our answers at all, and that was intentional because I didn't want us to influence each other. Um, and right here on the first question is pretty clear we didn't influence each other. I will say with Morant, um, you're exactly right. He has been awesome. And not just statistically awesome. I don't know how many times you've watched him actually play, but he's just a different level than everybody's playing against. Just a different dude. And so getting to the rim, um, creating separation, he's just – he's been unbelievable. And he very much looks like a top ten pick in the the NBA draft. I will say um, the reason I don't have him on my list is not because he's not awesome or statistically awesome – uh, national players of the year don't tend to come from teams that are where Murray State is. Now Murray State's good; uh, I think they're like top sixty-five at Ken Palm. But I looked this up in the off when we were getting ready for to do preseason player of the year, and it's almost like you've got to be on a top twenty-five team mm-hmm. at the at the very least. Like you, it, it helps to be on a top five, top ten team but you can be Doug McDermott or Kevin Durant if you're just so much better than everybody else and win player of the year. But, like, Creighton was still a top 25 team. Texas was still a top 25 team. So, John Morant not being on a top 25 team and probably not going to be on a top 25 team, I think eliminates him from the actual award. But he'll be on all the list, and he deserves to be on all the list. Uh, Number three, I went with – and I got no interest uh, – I got no – Issue with Marcus Howard as well, uh, because he is on a top twenty-five team, and, and you know forty points and a half. I mean, get out of here. He, he's been awesome, so perfectly reasonable. But the only one we match on is Zion um, at number three. I've got Grant Williams from Tennessee, obviously on a a, a really good team. It's the team that I have uh, number one in the top twenty-five and one right now. Um, they're third in the AP poll. They've got that win over Gonzaga. Loan losses, neutral court loss in overtime to Kansas. He's averaging 19.6 points, 8.5 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.7 blocks per game, shooting 56.3% from the field and 41.2% from three-point range. He's been really good. At number two, I've got the guy you've got, number one. And I can certainly uh, listen to the argument that he should be number one. At Zion Williams. 19.8 points, 9.4 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.9 blocks, PER in the 40s, shooting 65.2% uh, from the field. Um, he has been awesome. I wonder if going forward he might end up splitting votes with RJ because Zion's gotten most of the attention. RJ Baird has been awesome, <laughs> and, and it, like, but but a little bit overshadowed by Zion because Zion's been more efficient because Zion's more highlights. Like RJ's just more get to the rim, finish with contact. Zion's more you know in transition go catch a ball above the square one of those makes for a great highlight the other one is is fine but it's not the same you know Zion's bumping his head on the backboard. so Zion has been the star at Duke but R.J. Barrett is doing some things at Duke that no other freshman's ever done and I wonder if they won't wind up maybe splitting some some votes here or there number one either way I've got Diedrich Lawson right now because uh, let's just go through Zion's numbers again. Zion, 19.8 points per game. Diedrich Lawson, 20.6 points per game. Zion, 9.4 rebounds per game. Diedrich, 11.4 rebounds per game. Zion, 2.3 assists per game. Diedrich, also 2.3 assists per game. Then Zion's getting the 1.9 uh, blocks, uh, but Diedrich's getting 1.2 steals. Uh, the, the big difference between the two, besides one's an elite-level athlete and the other one plays really mostly below the rim, is um, – Zion's way more efficient than Diedrich is, you know, D- D- Diedrich shooting 53.2% from the field, not good from beyond the arc. But either way, um, just, uh, you know, averaging a double, 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 double more points and rebounds per game than Zion for a team that this time last week was ranked number one in the country. Uh, I went with Diedrich Lawson one, but I got no issue. Like I said, if, if somebody wanted to argue Zion, um, I, you could reasonably go either direction.
1: Yep. Diedrich was in my top six. Grant Williams was in my top six. No issues with that whatsoever. Um, will be intriguing to see what we wind up having, again, by the time we get to March, how these things um, continue or perhaps fall off just a little bit. Um, are right, You want to do coach next?
0: Yeah. Let's go to coach of the year. But first, real quick, check this out.
1: with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: So I went with Diedrich Lawson for player
1: of the year right now. Norlander
0: goes with Zion. Both, like I said, are sensible coach of the year up next. Norlander, what's your top three look like?
1: Okay, so I want to stress that this is to this point in the season, okay, and expectations with Coach of the Year tend to have an influence. So at three, I don't expect him to be the winner or probably not top three. I do think if his team continues on this path and does well in what's a, actually a, a quality league, I think that he will receive votes. But uh, Bob Ritchie at Furman, only loss just happened at LSU. Has what six road wins? Five road wins, including Loyola, and of course uh, against Villanova, which is big. Furman is 12 and one, best start in school history. Um, I think if he had had one against LSU, then Richie would really have a great shot. If you can go at a small school and, and come close to to running the table, um, you're going to give yourself a chance. So I've got him. Th- I've got him third overall. The Socon's good, though. They're going to take more losses. I think they're going to be an interesting at-large candidate down the road because when you have to play Greensboro, who's good, East Tennessee State is obviously a solid program, and Wofford might be the best team in the league if it's not Furman. Um, They're going to take more Ls. Uh, They're going to have to win some of those games on the road, I think, and Furman's going to be a really interesting case. At number two, this would be my front runner if his team was undefeated, but it also just lost to Marcus Howard and Marquette. Marcus Howard put up 40, and so Buffalo and Nate Oates lost. I've got Oates at number two. Uh, the Bulls, in the midst of their best start ever, uh, also have, just like Furman, a litany of games that have been won either on the road or in neutral uh, in neutral sites. That includes at West Virginia, at Syracuse. You go 2-1 and one against Syracuse, West Virginia, and Marquette, all those three on the road, nothing but respect from me. I will right now... Give it to a man who is highly respected, and I think uh, we can no longer call him overlooked, underrated. No, he is properly rated. He is viewed as a top 10 unequivocal coach in the sport. His team is still undefeated, made the national championship last year, and lost a lot. But still, 12-0, John Beeline is my front runner as we prep to flip the calendar to 2019 for coach of the year.
0: Every one of those that makes sense. We only match on one, though. Um, at number three right now, I'd have Eric Musselman. Uh, 12-0 at Nevada, nine double-digit wins. I got them ranked third in the top 25-1. and one. They beat uh, the Arizona State team that beat Kansas, beat the Tulsa team that beat Kansas State. They own six wins away from home already, beat Loyola Chicago at Loyola Chicago by double digits, beat USC at USC by double digits. Mostly, I think, they've been what they were supposed to be. So if you wanted to not include him, that would be like, okay, yeah, but, you know they're doing what they're supposed to do. Congrats. But I guess I would big picture it this way. When you take over a Nevada program that went 9-22 and the season before you took it over, and by year four, you've got a real national title contender in the Mountain West Conference, and you're undefeated on December 26th and got a real chance to go undefeated, then you've got to be a National Coach of the Year candidate. So I would just go uh, Muss at number three. And number two, I've got John Beeline, the guy you've got number one. Michigan was picked second in the preseason Big Ten poll behind Michigan State. They are second in the AP poll right now, 12-0, 10 double-digit wins. Um, I've got them fifth in the top 25-1, and, and and like I've explained previously, I understand that, that that might be low, but I had Virginia ahead of them in the preseason. I had uh, Nevada ahead of them in the preseason, and Virginia and Nevada are both also undefeated, so I, I haven't found any reason to leapfrog Michigan right now. That's why I have Michigan a little lower than most other people do. Um, they've got five wins over top 60 King Palm teams. They beat UNC by 17 at home, beat Purdue by 19 at home, uh, beat Villanova by 27 on the road. So uh, certainly, um, I think you're right, he's accurately rated. You know, we always talk in these terms of overrated, underrated. Some guys are accurately rated. Like, everybody thinks they're awesome and they're actually awesome. John Beeline is is that guy, and he's got another team good enough to play for a national championship. Got a team good enough to win the national championship. Number one, decided to go with Chris Beard, Texas Tech. They were picked seventh in the preseason Big 12 poll. They lost five of the top six scores from last season's team. Five of the top six from last season's team, and they're 11th um, in the top 25-1, uh, or no, 11th in the AP poll right now, 10th in the top 25-1 right now, 10-1 record. All 10 wins by double digits. 18-point win over Nebraska. That's a Nebraska team that's currently 14th at Ken Palm. And they played Duke tough. That's the only loss. Led for most of the game. And not just that's not just a phrase I'm throwing out there. They literally led for most of the game. I believe it was 21 minutes when I broke it down. They led for most of the game. They were tied with 6.30 left. And then Duke just closed. And, and, and uh, Texas Tech couldn't slow them down or keep up. But... Again, when you're picked seventh in the preseason Big 12 poll and you're 10th in the top 25 and one right now um, and you're 10 and one with a lone loss and a competitive loss on a neutral court to Duke and considering it was at the Garden, it's mostly a Duke crowd. um, That's coach of the year stuff. Chris Beard has been excellent just like he's been Every year, he's been a Division One college basketball coach.
1: Yes, he has. Beard was number four on my list. I just barely gave it to Richie. Wanted to give the, the Paladins some love because I think they're just going to take some losses while I think Texas Tech, which will take losses as well, I think Beard is going to position himself by year's end, and he'll certainly come into it. What's interesting is... Um, Texas Tech this actually makes for a good segue for our next one which is which is biggest surprise. I have Texas Tech uh, sort of as a tie here if you might allow me to uh, to kind of to dance on the fence here. See, Tech is such a big surprise for the reasons that you listed and why Beard should be really in the mix of any coach of the year conversation. It's number 2 in scoring defense. Only Virginia's better. Texas Tech allows 52.8 points per game. In scoring margin, only Duke, NC State, which has played a very weak schedule. Uh, Virginia Tech, which has been solid. And then Texas Tech uh, is beating its opponents by an average of 22.9. If you're curious, Duke is number one at 27.8. And then field goal percentage defense, Texas Tech is the best in America by far. By far. Opponents are shooting 32.8% against the Red Raiders. The next closest is Old Dominion at 35.2. And then me, to me, an underrated Houston team is third at 36%. So I've got Texas Tech as the 1B surprise. I have to go with Oklahoma here, though. The program was just sputtering out, spinning. It was a super bizarre season last year with Trey Young doing what no one was could have possibly expected, and then it loses Trey Young, loses Kadeem Latin, who never quite reached his potential, uh, comes back, and it's eleven and one. It's only lost, yes, it's by twenty points against a good Wisconsin team, but otherwise. Two road wins to start the season, one on neutrals against Florida and Dayton, beat Notre Dame on a neutral, just one at Northwestern, also has wins against Creighton and USC. Um, you know, you throw Wichita State in there, even Wofford as well. Just no one thought Oklahoma would be this. I think if we, if you seeded out the NCAA tournament right now, the Sooners would at worst be a three and maybe even might have a case for a two because, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, they have the most combined quad one and quad two victories of anyone in America right now. So the Sooners are my biggest surprise of the season so far.
0: Totally reasonable pick. I decided to go with Buffalo um, because that's a team that has, has obviously uh, been awesome. Like that's a, that's a very good uh, basketball team. That's won at West Virginia at Southern Illinois and, um, Beat a better than people realize, San Francisco team on a neutral court. That's a top forty-five Kimpom team. they won at Saint Bonaventure, won at Syracuse. The lone loss, um, is that is that uh, eighteen-point loss at Marquette uh, on the Friday before Christmas. Uh, more to the point, uh, when you talk about surprising, it's like, okay, what were you supposed to be, and what are you now? And they started seventy-second at Kimpom Right now, they're thirty-first. That is a forty-one 41- Spot jump, and I don't believe anybody else in the country has jumped 41 spots to a place of relevance. I mean, there might be somebody who was 220 in the preseason and now they're 170, but, like, whatever. Uh, I'm talking about you went from somewhere to relevance, and it's a pretty big jump. So far, I believe Buffalo um, is 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 the team that best fits that description. They're 11-1. and 1. Like I said, lone loss, 18-point loss at Marquette. They've got three top 50 Ken Palm wins all three away from home, including the at West Virginia and at Syracuse. But I will say um, they also have zero wins over top 30 Ken Palm teams. They are the classic team who – classics not the right word – but a good example of a team that builds a resume that looks better in real time than it does with the benefit of hindsight. Here's what I mean. Um, after Buffalo lost to Marquette, I bumped them down, and I always had them a little lower than everybody else, but but either way, I bumped them down um, to just behind Marquette. So I think at that point I had Marquette 25 and Buffalo 26 in the top 25 and 1. And then, so that happens on Saturday morning, and then on Saturday, of course, Kentucky, which I had on rank, goes and beats North Carolina, and Arizona State, which I had on rank, goes and beats Kansas, so I've got to take those two and jump them in, which I did both into the teens, I believe, and so that ends up bumping everybody down. Long story, not so long. I don't have Buffalo ranked right now, and I've heard from Buffalo fans like, "Oh, you know, we're sitting here with only one loss, and it's a loss at Marquette." And you just wrote a pole column blasting some guy for punishing, uh, te- you know, Texas Tech for losing a competitor, losing a game it was supposed to lose to Duke, and then you punish us for losing a game we were supposed to lose at Marquette. Well, here's the explanation. And, like, was sort of one of my rules, I'm not going to debate this stuff on Twitter, but this podcast is a good place to be able to explain. So, Buffalo fans, if you're here, here's the explanation. First off, you, I didn't drop you out as much as you just got pushed out by Arizona State and Kentucky after Arizona State and Kentucky got better wins than than, than any win you've you've got so far. Um, but, but secondly, the whole Texas Tech thing, I, I phrased it intentionally uh, a certain way. For don't punish teams for losing competitive games to teams. I mean, competitive games that they were supposed to lose. Well, Texas Tech was a ten-point underdog to Duke, and they lost by ten, um, or eleven, it, but it was still six thirty left tie game, and they led for most of the game. Anybody who watched Texas Tech Duke knows that that was a competitive basketball game. Uh, on the other hand, you were a two and a half point underdog at Marquette, you lost by eighteen. So there's a little bit of a of, of a different a different thing. And then as for the the resume looking better in real time, like these wins looking better in real time than they do with the benefit of hindsight, here's what I mean by that. Um, the two signature wins, the one that got the, the wins that got everybody's attention, right? What were they? It's the win at West Virginia that came early, and then the win at Syracuse. All right. Well well look now on December twenty sixth. <laughs> Western Kentucky and Rhode Island have also beaten West Virginia. UConn and Old Dominion have also beaten Syracuse. So those are still incredible wins. And the issue when you talk about this in this way is it sounds like you're trashing Buffalo. I'm not. Dude, Nate Oates would be on my top five coach of the year list right now. Buffalo is my biggest surprise so far. It's amazing what they've been, what they've been able to do. But if the question is, why don't you have Buffalo ranked right now when the AP poll does? Well, that's the explanation. They got pushed out by Arizona state and Kentucky jumping in and then the truth is the great wins that they got they're still very good wins but they don't look as good
1: today as they looked when they happened that's that's fair right that's an incredible way to straddle the aisle, parish you are really play, you are playing to both crowds there it, it, it's it's uh, there's what a lot I of rationale. I, no. I
0: want buffalo fans to understand but i don't want buffalo fans to think i'm trash yeah buffalo.
1: no i get you it's no yeah. it's 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 fair and it's valid and uh i would not rank them as the biggest surprise only well partly because I think I, I think this is true. I, it might be Western Kentucky. I had either Western Kentucky or Buffalo ranked as the highest team from a projected one bid league. So no, I didn't think Buffalo would be this good. Yes, I thought Buffalo would be good enough that it could flirt with getting into the rankings. Of course, I didn't think it would get as high as 14 as it has. Um, so in that regard, yeah, I mean it's it's clearly up there. It brought back a lot from last season's team. Um, but the way you put it was was totally uh, was totally kosher, and, and I'm and I'm good with it. I would still have Buffalo ranked, but. The way that it assembled, I don't, you know. Again, I'm not going to quibble with you over that kind of stuff, um, and we'll see if it can, uh, if it can climb back in with league play, getting ready to roll in the MAC.
0: While I'm making uh, points about, uh, I wish things that I wish people would understand. Let me make one to Marquette fans real quick because they've been tw- tweeting me like crazy, uh, thinking that I have Marquette too low. I think I've got Marquette 25 or 26 right now. Again, based wherever I had them, they got pushed down a bit by Arizona State and Kentucky. Uh, jumping in Um, this is the most common thing I hear from Marquette fans Uh, how can you have us that low when we've got three top 15 wins we got three top 15 wins no you don't you have one over Wisconsin at home in overtime you beat Kansas State when they were in the top 15 of the AP poll but they're unranked now, 28th at Kenpon. You beat Buffalo when they were in the top 15 of the AP poll, but they're 21st now and 31st at Kenpon. My point being, you got to stop it. You you, <laughs> you you can't keep claiming you've got three
1: top okay. 15 wins. That's not going to work, Parrish. <laughs> you
0: can't keep saying that. Stop. Like, If you want to say I've got Marquette too low and give some reasons why you think I do, that's fine. I, I, I can acknowledge that. You know, I didn't spend Monday's politics column uh, uh, punishing people who got Marquette in the top 15 or Marquette 18th or whatever. It's fine, completely reasonable. But it's not unreasonable, wherever it is I have Marquette right now, to have them where I have them right now. They're 30th at Ken Palm. It's not like they're 11th at Ken Palm and I've got them 25th or 26th or whatever. They're 30th at Ken Palm. They've got one top 15 win. The other ones are not top 15 wins. They are accurately described wins over schools that were ranked in the top 15 at the time that this particular game was played, but that does not make them top 15 wins. In other words, think of it this way. Uh, on selection Sunday, um, the, the committee is going to base everything off of where teams are slotted on selection Sunday that you beat somebody in November or December when that school was ranked in the top 15, if they're no longer in the top 40, that will not register like a top 15 win. It'll register like wherever that team is ranked at that time. This is not a hard concept. Go ahead. You can say whatever
1: you want. No, I got nothing. I got no. Let's let's close a loop on that and uh, and move on to biggest disappointment here. <laughs>
0: uh, Biggest disappointment. Uh, I guess I'll start. I actually had a list of biggest disappointments um i feel like you
1: have an an ongoing list of biggest disappointments regardless of whether we're talking (laughs) college basketball or not
0: and i want to separate these these i've got five schools right in front of me that i think qualify: three for one obvious reason and and two for other reasons um let's start with the two kentucky and villanova i i are are disappointing relative to what we thought they were going to be in the preseason but they are also like seemingly getting on track you know villanova just got the a billion point win over UConn and um, they also own a, a they're the only team to beat Florida State so far this season and so that that's that's a good resume win uh, but they were number nine in the preseason top 25 and one and I don't have them ranked in the top 25 and one uh, right now you could argue that maybe I should I would argue that based on the resume um, there's nobody else with a resume like theirs that I have ranked but I'm, I'm I'm not ignorant to the computer numbers that still like them and I'm not ignorant to the idea that they're uh, they're getting better. And Quinterly, Javon Quinterly, for for whatever it's worth, we didn't touch on this on the last podcast, he did play relatively well uh, against UConn. Like Jay threw him out there and just let him play, and, and he looked more like the way he's supposed to look than he had at any other point this season. So Villanova still, um, big picture disappointment, even if they do look like they're getting things on track. Same thing with Kentucky. Um, number one in the preseason top 25 and one, clearly wrong. I've got him at 19th right now. Um, a disappointment by any standard, but they might be figuring things out. You know, they we both watched them beat Carolina on a neutral the other day, and not just like you know beat them in the final eight minutes, but basically beat them buzz, you know, tip to buzzer. And, um, you know, uh, Ashton Hagens looked like a difference maker on the defensive end. PJ Washington, um, is 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 being what he was supposed to be. Keldon Johnson looks like a lottery pick. And so, you know, they, they they disappointing start undeniably, but might be getting on track. Uh, the other three are just disappointing, period. And one of them is West Virginia. Um, I had them 16th in the preseason top 25 and 1. They're sitting here right now, 7 and 4. They're 48th at Kenpom. Got losses to Buffalo, Western Kentucky, Florida, and Rhode Island. Another one's UCLA. Had them number 18 preseason top 25 and 1 they're now 7 and 5 67th at Kenpom four of the losses are to top 30 Kenpom teams so i think that should be noted uh, you know they they've they they haven't lost to a bad team and four of the teams they've lost to are in the top 30 right now but they have lost five times and that fifth loss of course is a home loss to Belmont shouts to Rick Bird. um i think the most disappointing team though i'd go with Syracuse number 22 in the preseason top 25 and 1 uh, now 8 and 4 34th at Ken Palm. So when you compare them to where they were in the preseason to where they are right now, at least at Ken Palm, UCLA is more disappointing than Syracuse. But like I said, UCLA, UCLA's losses are mostly reasonable losses. Four losses to top 30 teams. I, now they've gotten run off the court in some of those. But you know, no bad losses. No losses to bad teams. Whereas Syracuse has lost four times to a totally rebuilding UConn team, to a totally like all over the place and banged up Oregon team to old dominion and to buffalo and all four of those losses have happened in the state of new york um two at the carrier dome two at the garden only good win is a win at ohio state and that is a good win but they don't have a single other top 100 kenpom win so if i were trying to find the most disappointing team in the country right now i think i'd probably land on syracuse
1: Syracuse was my number two option. I had Villanova three, Syracuse two, but I went outside the box. I'm glad you didn't mention this, Parrish. My biggest disappointment is the Pac-12, which wasn't expected to be a top three league. It has been atrocious. I think it's going to struggle to get three, and it's no guarantee it gets two, which sounds absurd for a major conference. It's the absolute truth. This league is 7-9 against the WCC at this point. The WCC, which is good, but at no point should the WCC ever be outflanking the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has three wins in Quad One and 29, if not 30, losses in that same, um, you know, box, if you will, that same column, that same aisle. It's been horrendous overall. Not one top 40 team at Ken Palm. Arizona State is the only team in the NET, the NET, whatever we want to call this thing, uh, that's even in the top 40. is 31. The next closest is Washington at 55. You look across multiple metrics and the Pac-12 is struggling to put one team in the top 50. It's been a complete letdown, lost out on so many opportunities against big conferences. It can't get those back. Beating up on each other in the league seems an inevitability. The only team that was even, uh, you know, Stand out from a record standpoint was Colorado, which had a really bad non-conference schedule, and just dropped two games in Hawaii at the Diamond Head Classic against Indiana State and then Hawaii, which technically got a home game there. So it's just been a huge issue, and we've mentioned it before, but now that we're just about wrapped up with, with, with non-con play here... Just it's worth pointing out. Oregon's got four losses. Washington has four. Zona has four. UCLA, as you said, has five. Arizona State's the only beacon in this conference at nine and two. By the way, it might be Seven and ten against the WCC. Had the ASU scheduled game against San Francisco not gotten postponed, if not outright canceled, that was a road game for the Sun Devils. So it actually could actually be worse. Um, you keep going on down the line. Like I thought USC would be something close to last season. It's six and six. Stanford's bad. Utah State's bad. Washington State and Cal are just horrendous. Oregon State. I don't know, whatever. It just lost at home to Kent State. So it's uh, it's an outright disappointment all around. That, to me, by far, is my biggest disappointment of the season.
0: On, on Oregon, I think it should be pointed out that, undeniably, they've been disappointing, but they have not lost a game when both Bubble and Luke King have played. Um, so the thought, if, you're, if you want to still believe in Oregon, it's like, let them get healthy. Let both their five-star freshmen be on the court at the same time, and, and they'll be fine. But the league is just a nightmare. And it, it shouldn't be. You know, like, I I, I, I you know, UCLA, when you've got a league with Oregon slash Nike, uh, UCLA and Arizona, you should always be not this. And yet, UCLA's been disappointing. Arizona's recruiting class got dinged by the uh, FBI scandal and then Oregon's injured. So perhaps that's the explanation. But, and, I, you know, I think there's good things on the horizon. Um, either Steve will get this figured out or UCLA will go make an incredible hire, I would assume. Uh, Sean's got a, you know, top-shelf recruiting class on the way at Arizona. They'll be good again really soon. Um, USC has got an incredible recruiting class on the way. They'll be good again really soon. But uh, it's not even close. If you're talking about biggest disappointment among leagues in the country, it's the the Pac-12 by a significant margin let's close on this uh we both had our thoughts in the preseason about who should be the favorite to win the national title again embarrassingly i went with kentucky you i believe went with kansas uh it's now december 26th if you had to only pick one team and your youngest son's life depended on it who would you pick to win the national title
1: that's just so dark and dramatic um (laughs) I'm going to step off Kansas slightly. Uh, One for just, you know, why not? Let's vary it up and make things interesting. But also, this team is not yet at full strength. And if it is, and it enters into the NCAA tournament conceivably, um, having won, I don't know, 17, 18, 20 in a row, or 20 of his past 21, then yeah, I think it's going to be a very trendy pick to win the national title. It's first ever. I'm going to... I'm going to go with Gonzaga. It's got two losses. There are still undefeated teams and one-loss teams in the mix. But you know what? Doesn't have Geno Crandall at the moment. Has not even had Killian Tilly on the floor. Still the number one offense in America. The best two-point shooting team. Best effective field goal percentage in America. I'm going to take Gonzaga. And obviously, it's a crowded field at the top. I think you can easily make a case for about eight or nine teams to be in the mix for um, reasonable national title picks. So I'm going to pick the Bulldogs. I don't think you're with me, Parrish, but I know you don't have Kentucky. So who are you riding with?
0: I'm going to go with Duke. I'm going to try, you know, I'm not going to get uh, so boring, so predictable. I'm not going to make this complicated. I mean, you start looking at what this Duke team is and uh, while uh, acknowledging that it's a single elimination tournament, so who, you know, who knows? Um, And I do think that this is a year where, you know, you could reasonably pick five or six different teams to win the national title, Gonzaga's one of them, Duke is obviously one of them, Virginia's another, Michigan's another, Kansas is another, Uh, Nevada's another, I think Tennessee is even another. Uh, The list might stop somewhere around there. But either way, you could, just like I I thought on Monday morning, you could reasonably rank six different teams, uh, number one in the country, and those teams were the undefeateds that are in the top ten, Virginia, Michigan, Nevada, and then Duke, uh, Kansas, Tennessee, I think you could reasonably label any of them as a as a national champion, a potential national champion right now. But, but Duke is, uh, I think, on paper and in the computers, just better than everybody else. Even if I don't think Duke deserves to be number one right now, uh, I do think Duke should be the favorite to win the national title right now. They are uh, second in offensive efficiency, third in defensive efficiency, and that third thing is very important because um, there's been years – um, when Mike has relied heavily on freshmen where they just were not good defensively. Most recently last year when they had to commit to a zone before they could you know, figure out how to get into the top 10 in defensive efficiency. Um, they've been great from the start this season. And when you are relying so heavily on first-year players, I, I know that this isn't a rule and that it's not guaranteed, but it is reasonable to assume you're going to be better in February, March, April, if you're still playing, than you were in November, December, because, like, the first-year players should get most comfortable. Most teams that rely heavily on first-year players do get better as the season progresses. So with Duke being this good already, um, you know, how good can can it actually be? Perhaps we'll look back and just go, well, we saw the best of Duke in November, December, but I'd be surprised if that's that's the case. Beyond that, quite clearly, they're the most talented team in the country. They got four first-round picks three possible, if not probable, top five picks. They might have the best player in the country in Zion. And if it's not Zion, it might be RJ. I do think those players, one way or another, will go one and two in some order. And then there's this. Their adjusted efficiency margin right now is 32.09. And that's nearly a... It's it's roughly four points higher than second, Mm -hmm. which is Virginia. So they are significantly better from an adjusted efficiency margin perspective than anybody else in the country right now. And they're also better than the North Carolina team that won the 2017 national title. than the Villanova team that won the two South 2016 national title. than the 2014 Yukon team that won the national title. And also the 2011 Yukon team that won the national title. In other words, their adjusted efficiency margin at this moment, Dukes is better than four of the past eight national champions. That means that, they quite clearly are good enough to win a national championship.
1: Oh, they're quite clearly good enough. Yes. Um, I, I promise you, I will not pick them to win the national championship because things rarely work out that way where the best team wins it. You throw on the top of the fact that they are freshmen that I've seen this happen with Duke and with Kentucky. Maybe they'll do it. I'm just not going to pick them. Even if they don't lose from now until the start of the tournament and their average margin of victory is 47 points. I'm not picking Duke to win the national championship. Um, Okay, so we have a heart out here. So Parrish, I was gonna do like a fun little look back year in review. I say we save it for the next one. We preview the weekend's games and we do a little bit of a year in review. Cause guess what? Year's not over. Something can happen between now and Friday, I guess. Um, so let's push that back, save it, and a call out to the listeners. Who knows if they'll if they'll even want to do this? But if there is a particular podcast moment, good, bad something that just infuriated you, something that made you want to log on. And guess what? Rate that podcast. Five stars. Give a good review. Anything like that, feel free to tweet it at us. If you, uh, if you have anything, any anecdotes you want to pass along, maybe I'll mix that in as well. But I do want to get to just a, a quick breezy look back at, at the year in college basketball of 2018. But I don't think we have the time right now. And plus, it's a decent weekend, not a great weekend. We might as well just split up the Friday pod into that and uh, in-game in, in previews.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that on, uh, on Friday because we'll have uh, plenty of time. And I believe we're already like 44 minutes into this one. And like you said, we do have a hard out um, about eight minutes from now. And I would not want you to have to wrap up 2018 in, in only eight minutes. So with that, let me say, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And like Norlander said, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball podcast via Apple Podcasts. Uh, and if you subscribe, rate it favorably. And what I mean by that is five stars and nice comments. That kind of stuff really does uh, make a difference. You know, if you go look at the uh, most popular, because iTunes has rankings for all this stuff that update, you know, every minute of every day, as far as I can tell, uh, the most popular, most listened to uh, podcast about college sports. We are, you know, in the top five almost always. And number one, um, usually within 24 hours of every new uh, episodes. So that's super, super cool to see. And it's a testament to to you guys uh, doing what I ask you to do, um, as kindly as I can ask you to do it, uh, which is go subscribe uh, to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts, and then make sure you're listening to it, uh, obviously. So if you've already subscribed, thank you sincerely. If you haven't yet, please go do it. It'd be a big favor. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Till then,
1: take care.